I think the people who really know us well, who have been in our home, who have spent time with us, they know what our family culture is. And every family has a family culture. And so when you get to know one another outside of probably this room, you get to know what is the culture of a family. Last week, Pastor Steve shared with us some cultural indicators for us to take a look at our families and say, do we sound like the kingdom, look like the kingdom? Do people feel the kingdom when they're with us? And so I just want to review those and put those up on the screen so you can remember from last week. This is what it looks like if you're a kingdom family or you have a kingdom culture in your family. So first he shared his kingdom is the first priority. Jesus' kingdom is more important than anything else. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Second, self-giving love is the norm. So we try to serve one another and give of ourselves and love one another in a sacrificial way. But that's the norm. That doesn't always happen. Third, dignity and respect for others. We've all seen this and we've seen when this didn't happen, right, in our families? The fourth one, order and peace. I just want to skip right over that one and go to five. Uh, But in all honesty, God is a God of order and he is a God of peace. So we should see some of that in our families, right? A five, morality and obedience. If we love the king, we're going to look a little bit like the king. We're going to try to obey the king. And then six, grace. And I'm so glad that Steve ended with grace because, man, do we need God's grace when it comes to, yeah, amen. We need God's grace so desperately in order to to please him, to, to create a culture. I mean, when you think about creating a culture in your family, it can be kind of overwhelming unless you rely on the grace of God every step along the way. So perhaps you did some family introspection this past week, like I did, and maybe you looked at those cultural indicators and you said, how's my family doing? And maybe you even asked your kids, and I I polled one of my daughters and asked them what they think of when they think of our family. I'm not even going to share the answer with you, but um, it's interesting because when your kids are really, really tiny, whatever they say, it's super cute. And then they get a little bit older and more thoughtful, and sometimes they speak a little bit more truth, and it's not quite as cute as it was. But I'll tell you, what I, what I was challenged to do was say, okay, God, I want my wife Jen and I to also be working on this. We want to develop a kingdom culture in our family and improve in some areas that we need improvement. We're all in this together. We really are. No matter what stage you're at, if you have kids or you don't have kids, if your kids are grown or not, we're going to try to look at the family and say, how can we create this, in, this kingdom culture. Now, I've done youth ministry before this for a long time, and even after helping all those people with their families and raising their kids, I still find parenting and creating a kingdom culture in your family to be extremely difficult and a, a really huge challenge. But it's a challenge that's very worthy, so I hope that you will join me in that, and as we go through this series, continue to do so. You'll be on board and say, I want to work on this, and I really want to encourage you. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't say, well, man, I don't know how I can do all that. You know what? Focus on one this week. Take one thing and say, let's try this this week. Let's just try this one point that Pastor Mark talked about or that Pastor Steve talked about. And I believe you'll see some change. One of the very important things that Pastor Steve pointed out last week, in fact, I think it's the key that unlocks this whole mystery of creating kingdom culture, is when he said this, you cannot bring the kingdom of God to your home until Jesus is king of your heart. You can't bring the kingdom of God to your home until Jesus is king of your heart. So if you and I walk out of here and we say, man, I want my family to be like what I heard in the sermon. And I want my family to be like the Campions. And, you know, I just want to be like this. And we try to impose that on our family without 
getting to the heart, we're going to frustrate ourselves and our kids. We got to get to the heart. It's all about our heart before God. So Jesus must be king of our hearts in order for the kingdom of God to be in our homes. Really good news with this, though. I was thinking about this. I'm encouraged by this. Because that means that no matter what happens in the rest of your family, if you tend to your heart, then you can start to enact some change in your family. You can start to see the culture little bit by little bit shift. So if you're a dad and no one else in your family is following, but you decide to be a man after God's own heart and you seek his face and you try to have a kingdom mindset, you know what? You'll make a difference. Or if you're a single in here and you say, I'm going to change my family, my parents and my siblings, I'm going to be that agent of change. You can make a difference. For moms, for siblings, no matter where you are in life, you can be effective in this. Culture changes little bit by little bit and it bends slowly. So we're going to get really practical today. We're going to try to say, how can we put this into practice? How can we actually develop or create a kingdom culture? So before we jump in, though, I want to remind you, it is possible to change culture. It is possible to create a culture in your family. And I know that because all of our families have some kind of culture. So in the Colton household, one of the things I would say that's, that's our culture is it's a bunch of foodies. Like my girls eat food and they say, is that parsley? Is that thyme? And uh, we talk about food. We talk about ingredients. They like to help cook stuff, like to watch Food Network. And that's kind of part of our culture. It just kind of happened, not because of me, that's for sure, because of my wife and her cooking and all of that. Our family has that as part of our culture. And some of your families are sports oriented. You know, there's a real sports culture in your home. I got, I got a chance to go to my very first Blackhawks game this past week. So that was pretty intense. That, that national anthem is unlike anything I've ever seen in my life, right? The whole, from the very first note, there's people doing this and cheering, and it was quite inspiring, you know? It was pretty neat. Um, so I got to see some people who I would guess in their home have developed a sports culture. These cultures seem to develop kind of naturally. Like, you don't have to do a whole lot, maybe watch Food Network, talk about food, you know, or watch some sports. But when it comes to developing a kingdom culture, it seems to be so much harder, doesn't it? Why is that? I was thinking about that. I believe it's because the enemy hates when we become like Christ. He hates families that honor God. He doesn't so much care if you're a Blackhawks fan or a Flyers fan or an Eagles or Bears. I know that's surprising to you. But it just doesn't matter to Satan as long as he can thwart God's plan for our family, as long as he can keep us from having a godly kingdom culture. So he is working against us. I really believe that. And, and many of you in here can amen that because you have felt the kind of the oppression that sometimes happens, spiritual warfare. But we have to remember that greater is he in us than he that is in the world, right? So he's with us. He can help us change. He will help us change. So here we go. Ways to create a kingdom culture in our family, in our home. The first, and we'll spend a good amount of time here, is talk about the king. Talk about the king. Now, as I go through these, I want to encourage you. There's going to be a parental bent to this. It's kind of where I am in life right now and, and my, my youth ministry over the years. But I want to challenge you. You might be single and you might be married without kids. If you will apply these principles now, what an awesome thing. If God has you as a single to one day be married, you're already developing in your heart this kingdom culture. And if you're a couple, no kids yet, and you're establishing a home with this kind of culture, you're getting a, you're, you're getting a head start. Many people in here would, would love to be able to have done that. Um, so let's look at these. Talk about the king. 
There's a lot of good things that we could talk about as families, a lot of good things. But one thing that must frequent our conversation is talk about who God is, who Christ is, the gospel, and the kingdom. And it makes sense, right? I mean, if we want to change our family's culture and have a kingdom-oriented nature to our family, we're going to have to talk about kingdom things. We're going to have to have conversations about God if we want the culture to change. You take the two illustrations I shared earlier. The only way we got to be food lovers and know different kinds of food is by talking about it and chatting about Food Network and whether we'll go back to that restaurant or not and all, all that kind of stuff, right? We, we talk about food. And those of you who have a sports culture, you talk about sports. You talk about the coach and the star players and the draft picks and, and everything that happened in the game the other day. And that's how it develops. So I want to go through this. And as we talk about the king, I believe what happens is we create a kingdom culture by two different things. The first is a kingdom foundation. So I think our families need a kingdom foundation. Matthew chapter 7 is the first passage in Matthew we're going to look at. So you can turn there or you can read up on the screen. Matthew chapter 7, and I want to read 24 through 27. And notice Christ's words, this foundation. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Matthew 7, 25. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The word of God says, and Jesus says here, when we hear his words, when we know his words, and we do them, then we lay a foundation for our lives, and I believe for the lives of our family. So before we go any further, I just want to remind you from this text that we must not just speak about Jesus or even memorize the words of Jesus, but we must also do what Jesus says. I think kids and frankly, all of us are, are pretty in tune with people who say the right stuff. You know, they, they talk a big game, but they don't actually live it out. They don't actually, when in the, in the real life, they don't really do what they're saying. So we must do what Jesus says. That's the context of Matthew 7, the whole chapter. Are we doing what Jesus says? But notice that in order to do the words of Jesus, you have to first hear them, right? You must first know what Jesus said. How are kids going to know what Jesus said and do it if we don't speak? if we don't give them that foundation. So we can't expect our family to have a strong foundation unless we talk about Jesus, that our kids know Jesus' words, and then they can do them. So what is your home being built on? Is it being a, built upon the rock of Jesus Christ or some other rock of security or popularity or money or, or whatever it might be? 2 Timothy three fourteen through 15. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's reminding him of the foundation that Timothy has. He says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You might remember that Timothy received a foundation from his mother and his grandmother, and he had this stable foundation that Paul built on and others built on. We as parents, we want this, or even as a couple, you want your home to have this foundation of Jesus' words. You want to talk about him. You want to talk about the scriptures. And I, I want to challenge you this morning in two ways with this, formally 
and informally. We want to speak about Jesus in formal settings, and we want to speak about Jesus in informal settings. So what is formal? Well, I think family devotions is an example of a formal setting. Some people call it family worship. And I've been working with parents for many, many years, and I know that less than half percent of, less, less than half the percent of families do family devotions. And I don't say that in a condemning way, like shame on you, less than 50, you know, you're 50%. It's more, we could all work on this. We could all do it a little bit better with a formal time on a daily basis of just maybe reading one verse or speaking about Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, find the time that works for you. You know, over the years, we have, we have tried this. We, I will tell you, we try to do it every night, but we don't do it every night. Things get busy, special events, nights, that kind of thing but that we want it to be part of the rhythm and the fabric of our family. And so you have to find what works for you. Maybe it's right before bed. You know, sometimes when you have little kids, they're all kind of going to bed at the same time and you can gather them and do something pretty short because if it's not short, everything breaks loose. Kids are hitting each other and there's just, it's chaos. So short, right before they go to bed, maybe that works. Maybe for you though, your kids are getting older and I've heard that most parents have, that have older kids, they're busy, they're all over the place, they're never even in the same place. So maybe you eat together every day and that's your time where you just read a, a scripture verse, you speak about the Lord, talk about what you saw God do in your life that day, you know, how was your day, did you see God do anything today? You have to find out what works for you. But I want to encourage you to make that a priority. It says something when we're willing to make a regular scheduled time for the Lord. It says something to our kids, like God is important enough, Jesus is important enough for us to make it a routine. A couple of examples of things that we used over the years, uh, we used the Jesus Storybook Bible. You know, with your kids when they're really little, uh, if you had like a junior and senior in high school, probably it's too little for them, but it's a great storybook Bible. It's very Jesus-centered, it's gospel-centered. So we've used that, we used keys for kids, and the kids have to try to guess the key, and that's been fun. Right now we're reading through something called Old Story New. And we're going through Genesis for like, what, a year, girls? They're like, they're like Dad, we're still in Genesis. Uh, but we're working our way through and we're learning all about the patriarchs. And there's also, I, I talked to a family, they use New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp, which I think that's pretty cool. They're like aiming high for their kids. And I like that. It's very good. Good book. Very good book. Find out what works for you. Come talk to, to one of us and say, hey, what do you recommend? But finding a formal time is helpful. I believe it's important. But I believe this, I really do believe this, and that is that even more important than the formal times is the informal teaching that you do as a parent. I really believe this. So it's the stuff that just kind of comes up. It, it wasn't planned. You didn't sit down together and say, okay, guys, let's talk about Jesus. You're just doing life, and all of a sudden something pops up, and you decide you're going to talk to your kid about this. So here's a probing question for you, for me. Are we so captivated by the king that Jesus just comes up in our conversation. That's convicting to me, maybe to you as well. Are we so captivated by the king that he just comes up? Like we can't help but talk about him. Or our kids just talk about him. One of the most important scriptures for families, I believe, is Deuteronomy 6. So you can flip there or you'll see it on the screen. Deuteronomy 6 and verses 4 through 9, some of you may know. This is a very important passage to the Jewish people. It's called the Shema something they repeat very often. And I believe it should also be important to us as Christians. And as I look at a dad, as, as being a dad, say, how do I create a culture where my kids know about the Lord? I believe this text is huge. So I'm going to read verses 4 through 9, Deuteronomy 6. You can follow along. God's word says this, Hear, O Israel, 
the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I'll jump over to verse 20. Verse 20 says, When your, a- your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. Verse 24 says this, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And we could spend a whole sermon on Deuteronomy 6, maybe we will someday, but a couple things about this text for our families. Parents are to teach their children constantly, casually and redemptively, so constantly. I mean, the text says morning and night and day and pretty much any time. Every time is a good time to talk about the Lord. Parents are to teach their children casually. Did you notice sitting at the home or walking by the way? Now, they didn't have cars back then, so today we don't walk many places, but we'd be driving. And as we're driving, we talk with our kids. And you might have, they might have to take off their headphones or whatever, you know, put down their phone, but maybe try to strike up conversation. It's a, it's a good time to talk. And also, we're to teach our children redemptively, constantly, casually, redemptively. We don't just tell our kids, this, these are the rules. We help them understand we have these rules because we love you, because Jesus loves us, because we want to honor the King. And we talk about what God has done for us, how he's saved us, and because he loves us so much that he gave Jesus. So we're always pointing back to Jesus and the deliverance that we have. Talking about the Lord should be woven into the fabric of our lives. It really should just be something that comes up naturally. Or casually. So here's a couple times you can try to do this. I already mentioned drive time, right? It's, it's informal conversation. It's kind of like a friend, more of a friend conversation. Bedtime is a good time. Those of you who are parents, you know that kids are, it's an intimate time. They're, you can talk to their heart. You can kind of, you know, really share how they're feeling, how their day went. So you can really talk about God in like more of a counselor way. And then morning time, you know, they wake up, you're trying to get them ready for the day and, and tell them God is with them and it's going to be a good day, even if they don't think it is. And that's more like a coach. So these are some ways that you can talk with your kids and times that you can do so. But just remember, any time is a good time to talk about the Lord. The text says sometimes your kids are going to ask questions, right? They're going to say, why is this the case? And I don't know if any of you have seen this, but kids have some amazing questions sometimes. Sometimes that really inopportune times, sometimes they're really tricky questions and we're not quite sure how to answer them. (laughs) But as parents, we want to always be ready, always ready to answer and try to uh, take advantage of those opportunities. We don't want to miss those opportunities. So I'll give you an example from this past week. 
I didn't ask her if I could share this. I'm probably going to get in trouble. But one of my daughters said to me, we're sitting outside Strax and we're, you know, parked looking at this restaurant with orange letters. And she says to me, Dad, what is Hooters? And I thought to myself, hmm, do I answer this like accurately or do I make something up or what do I do, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I realized this is a good time. You know, mom's in there shopping because that's the most efficient thing. And we have time, might as well, right? So we, we talk through this. We talk about why that is the way it is. Why do people want to go to this restaurant? And uh, interestingly, she said to me, well, what if there was no other place in the entire world to get food except Hooters? What would we do? Which I was trying to imagine the universe in which this happened. Uh, can't possibly understand that. But um, I say, well, mom would go in and she'd get food for us, you know, and we kind of chatted about that. But, you know, we laugh about that. It's, these are really important times because what we're trying to do is help our kids see how God's principles, God's word applies to real life. And as Deuteronomy 6 says, God gave us his rules for our good. And as our kids grow up and as we grow up in this world, we start to wonder, like, is it really for our good? I mean, nothing wrong with that. It's kind of harmless, whatever. We realize, no, God does have our good in mind. He really does give us his commandments for our good. So I kind of talked about a kingdom foundation, right, Matthew 7, but also I believe with Deuteronomy 6, we have not just a foundation, but a kingdom filter. So we build this foundation for our kids, but then through life we want to teach them how to view the world. You know, how do we understand this restaurant situation? Like, how do we understand the way the world works? And so I believe one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids, I believe this, is a kingdom filter. A way to be able to view the world and, and see, uh, see the kingdom and how you're supposed to live in the kingdom in this world, which is far from honoring to God. I don't think this is in a weird way. I don't think it's just like, well, we can't talk about anything unless it's about the kingdom, kids. Or we can't talk about anything unless we tie in a scripture verse. It's not weird. It's not like that. It's that whatever we do, we do it with a kingdom mindset. Whatever we watch or listen to, we do it with a kingdom mindset. So the media that your kids and you guys uh, as adults take in, are we doing that with a kingdom mindset? Are we trying to apply the principles of Scripture? So maybe try this. Maybe pause a movie halfway through and just say, okay, kids, uh, what's good about this movie? Uh, what's, what's dishonoring to God? Kids really like it when you pause a movie in the middle. It's really phenomenal. We don't do it that often. I've only done it a couple times, but it could be a great time, especially, you know, sometimes in a movie it's obvious, oh, they said that, you know. Other times it's a really subtle undercurrent, right, of of, of really demonic teaching that is just so subtle you're afraid your kids are going to just take it in. Maybe try that. It, it would be awkward, but it would be a good conversation. Or maybe you'll decide to watch something or listen to or read something with your child. Uh, one time, uh, one of my daughters a few years back wanted to read a book, and my wife and I thought it was just a little bit mature for her and had some stuff in it. So I said, okay, daddy's going to read it too. We're both going to read it. So we both bought the book. And I bought the ebook because I didn't want anyone to see the cover of the book. And um, we read it. And uh, it was about a dad dying and a daughter. And so it was really, you know, appropriate. And it was emotional. And I did not expect to get emotionally invested in the book, but I did. Uh, the point being, though, we chatted a little bit about it. We talked about what was good, what was honoring to God, what wasn't. And I haven't done that many times, to be honest. But if we can start to do those kind of things and teach our kids before they're grown, because we want them to develop this kingdom filter before they get out there on their own when they desperately need that. So how are they going to know unless we help them? And one of the reasons why I think this is so important, think back to Matthew 7, is that we're preparing our kids, we're preparing our family as a couple maybe, 
for the storms that will come. I mean, Matthew 7 says that the winds are going to blow, the, the rains are going to fall, and there's going to be storms. If you live long enough, you know that's true, right? There are storms to life. Sometimes there's extremely rough storms, like the wind that we had this past week that was like ripping fences apart. And, and you just feel like you can't go on anymore. And are our kids going to be able to survive that intact? Are we going to be able to survive those storms intact? Only if we have that foundation and that filter to understand things. Now, some of you in here, you're already grown, and you're kind of saying as I'm talking, man, my family wasn't really like that. I mean, we didn't really talk about the Lord. Maybe at church time, but casually? Nah, we never did that. So I have a challenge for you. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is this. You can start to make a difference yourself. So maybe you're single, and you see your family when you go over to their house. Your mission is to try to make a difference, and you can start to change the culture. You bring up Jesus. You know, you talk about the Lord when you're together. And it might be weird at first, but you do that. Or, or maybe, you know, um, maybe you, you, you've already raised your kids a, a good amount, but you're sitting there going, man, I, I don't think I've done what I'm supposed to do. Start now. It's your mission to try to take one step and to grow. It's going to be awkward at first. It is. If you've never prayed in front of your kids or you've never talked about Jesus like when you're driving in the car, it might seem awkward at first. Um, I, I submit to you this. Is it worse to have awkwardness or to have abdication? And that word means we as parents can't abdicate. We can't give up our responsibility. I'd rather have it be awkward than abdicate what the responsibility God's given me. So it's going to be a little awkward. You know, I, I used to take teens down to D.C. for an evangelism conference, and they sold these T-shirts that said, awkward is awesome. And it was talking about sharing your faith, Right? So I think dads should go out, get these awkward is awesome shirts and just wear them and just start talking to your kids about the Lord. I heard one teen tell me, you know, when I was a kid, when, uh, actually they're a young adult now, when I was a kid, my dad would come into his, or my room and just read a verse and then walk out. It was so weird. He said it was so weird. And, but he said, you know what? Later I started to say, I'm really glad he did that. Like, it made a difference in his life. But at the time he thought it was the weirdest thing. It's like, what just happened, you know? But you, I believe God will use that and God will bless that. So first, we create a kingdom culture when we talk about the king, and we spend a lot of our time there. Second, we create a kingdom culture when we talk to the king. So we talk about the king, but we talk to the king. We don't just have to talk about him. We can actually speak directly to the God of the universe. With our children, with our spouse, we can start to have these conversations with God, and I believe the way that we pray creates a culture. Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. You're familiar with this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What kind of prayer is going to foster a kingdom culture? Well, from this Matthew 6 passage, I think prayer that is humble the context of this chapter is humility, right? We give, pray, and fast humbly. Reverence, our king is holy, he's perfect, and so we come into his presence reverently when we pray. Kingdom-minded, you know, your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. What we're praying there for our families is we're praying that God's kingdom would be seen in our family. So our family would be a little taste of heaven. Is your family a taste of heaven? That's kind of a loaded question. You know, we just had the holidays. There's a lot of drama and, 
You know, some of you are saying, yeah, my family's a taste of something. It's not heaven. But seriously, do you, I mean, the way that relationships are supposed to operate in the kingdom, are we starting to see that in our families? That's what God has. God has us for, to start praying for that. You know, at least in your prayer, start to pray, God, your will be done on earth in my family as it is in heaven. I'm pretty confident that all of us would like our family relationships to be a bit more heavenly. So let's start praying that way. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says this about prayer. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I love this passage because it shows us God's Father's heart, right? God has a Father's heart. And the Sermon on the Mount, or the uh, Lord's Prayer says, Our Father, right? As a dad, I love to provide for my girls, for my children. And so one of the things I've seen happen is when they're really little, they need me to get things out of the cupboard, right? Like Presley will say, Dad, can you get me a cup? Can you get me a plate? Then they get older and they get taller and they don't ask me for help anymore. Or they just shimmy up the cabinet and precariously get stuff, you know? And I miss that. I miss that dependency. I mean, in some ways it's good, but I remember giving them baths as little babies. You know, they're so, you know, like so fragile and you're taking care of them. And that was always daddy's, daddy's responsibility. And then they get older and all I'm washing is their hair. And then eventually it's totally inappropriate for me to be anywhere near the shower when they're taking a shower. And it's just, it's hard to see your kids. And some of you know, you've, you've already gone through it, not need us as much. But when it comes to God, we never outgrow our dependence on him. Never. He's got a father's heart. He wants us to cry out to him desperately. And we might act like we don't need him, but we do need him. So are you talking to your heavenly father? Are you depending on him? Are you showing your kids what it means to have desperate, dependent prayers? Here are a couple good times to pray with your family or with your spouse or start this by yourself. Mealtime. And maybe not just for the food. Try to change it up a little bit and, so that it doesn't seem like something rote all the time. Bedtime, again, very tender time. A new day, uh, a bad day, or a big day, or a big need, or maybe pre-Sunday. You know, praying with your kids, God, I pray that we would be ready for, to hear your word, to worship with your people, kind of getting them ready for that. So we create a kingdom culture when we talk about the king, when we talk to the king, also when we worship the king. So in this family series, we want to say it loudly and clearly and very often, that it's not ultimately about the family. We're taking a month and we're dedicating it to family, but it's ultimately not about the family, right? It's all about Him. It's all about Jesus Christ. If we don't want to make family an idol, we'll be sadly disappointed. It's Jesus who we worship. It's about Him, and He is supposed to be ultimate in our lives and in our hearts. My wife and I like to watch a show called Parenthood, and it follows the adventures of the Braverman family and it's a really good show for the most part, but one of the things I've noticed is, a, I think, a strong undercurrent of this idea. You don't really need God. You don't need religion. You just need family. Family is the rock of life. Family is what it's all about. And that's not true. According to God's word, Matthew 10, 37 and 38, Jesus said this, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. This is true worship, right? Valuing Jesus above everything else. He is more important 
than anything. So in your family, in your personal family worship, is Jesus most important? And also we'll notice after this, in corporately as a, as a church, is our worship geared towards Jesus most importantly? So personally, think about this. Children and teens in here and parents and grandparents, wherever you are, is Jesus the most important person to you? Or is it your child or your parent or your, you know, your grandchild? This is really hard because the love that we have for our family is intense, right? I mean, if you've ever, if you think back, if you're married to that, that romantic period of dating and the sparks flying, and there was intense feelings there, right? I still remember walking, watching my wife walk down the aisle, how powerful that was. Jesus is greater still. It's hard to remember that because we're so engaged in those emotions. Or when my daughters were born, what an intense love I felt for them. And yet Jesus is greater still, right? So our love must be for him first and foremost if we want our families to have a kingdom culture. How about our church here? This, I like what Parker said, this is a family, right? We have all these families made up of singles and married people and people with kids, but we're a family too. And this is a family that must worship God. How is our corporate worship? I mean, that's why we exist as a church, right? To make much of Jesus, to glorify God. That's really why we exist. And we come together as all of these families trying to worship God, to worship together. So that desire that I talked about, that Jesus would be paramount, that's what we desire at Bethel Church, that we would help to create that and cultivate that passion. I want you to think about this. What would happen if boys and girls and men and women in this body started to get so passionate about Jesus that that's really the main focus of their life. Think about how that would really change our community. Would it not? It would change radically the way that this, this area would be. People will be reached with the gospel and marriages will be saved and children will be raised in the Lord. Now, I know it doesn't always work out just like that, but we would see these things happening. Singles would not waste their singleness. Instead, they would glorify God with it. We're all in this together as the body of Christ. And it's kind of, as I get ready to wrap it up in a little bit, I want you to think about this. We all work together to to, to create a culture. And whether or not you have children, you are a part of this culture that the children in here and the teens in here are absorbing. So you play a role, you really do, and we together are a family. You think about the way that Israel worshiped God in community. Even families, according to Deuteronomy 6, had the help of the community. It says, hear, O Israel. All of Israel is together in this, and all of us as a body are together in this. I believe that this church wants to partner with parents to help develop this culture. I really believe that. I believe, you know, Ellen Crusa and her family and all the children's workers, that's their goal, is not just to babysit, but to have little Christ followers who have a kingdom mindset, who actually want to love Jesus more than anything else. That's the goal of children's ministry. And there's ways that this ministry partners with you. Sunday mornings, they hand out this card. I don't know if you knew this. It has follow-up questions, devotionals for kids. There's two different ones for the different age groups. Maybe take advantage of that. Take it home. See how you can incorporate that into your family. We want to partner with you. We want to be a church that helps create a culture for you guys, for your kids. Awana on Thursday nights. I've met a lot of the Awana workers. They love the kids. And again, they're not just doing damage control, right? making sure the kids don't wreck the building. They're actually trying to teach children what it means to love Jesus more than anything else. They're teaching them his word. And the student ministry, 
I mean, Bill Hilligans loves your kids. One of the reasons I knew we were going to be okay when we moved here was he and the other youth workers love our kids. And so we're all in this together, partnering together. By the way, those ministries I just mentioned, they would really love more people to jump on board and to work with them in this important endeavor. So if you ever thought, oh man, that's not for me, realize what they're doing. They're actually creating a culture in the hearts of young people. And if God would lead you to do that, it's a very, very high calling. So lastly, we need to see this. We're to serve the king. So we talk about the king, we talk to the king, and we worship the king. Finally, we serve the king. I want you to think about this. In this whole kingdom series, we're a servant. We're a servant, and we are called to serve, to have a servant mindset. Imagine how different our families would look if each of us served each other, if we outdid each other in serving. I know it's, it's, a, it's a pipe dream, but the point is if we would serve like Jesus tells us to serve, and remember that there's only one king, him, our families would look much different. Instead, we're very quick to look out for ourselves. We often lack grace and kindness. One uh, passage I want to look at here in Matthew, Matthew 18, verse 21 and 22. And Peter is talking to Jesus, and he's trying to figure out this whole forgiveness thing, right? And Peter says to Jesus in Matthew 18, 21, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Peter just kind of, his jaw hit the floor. He's like, wow, okay. But then Jesus goes on to share a parable where he helps Peter understand even better. What does this look like to forgive, to be merciful, to be gracious? And so he shares this parable. Some of you are familiar with it. A man owes the king the equivalent of millions of dollars. Could never pay it. It's not possible. And the king says, if you don't pay me the money, I'm going to throw you and your whole family in jail. You'll be sold into slavery. The man doesn't know what to do. He falls to his knees. He begs for mercy. And amazingly, miraculously, the king forgives him for the entire debt. He owes nothing. Now, you'd think that if this happened to somebody, they would skip out of there and and singing and and praising God, and they would go home to their family in joy. But instead, this man finds somebody that owes him some money. And it's not an inconsequential amount of money, but it's peanuts compared to the millions that he owed. And he grabs him, and he chokes him, and he says, give me the money now. And the irony is really thick, isn't it? I mean, this man has been forgiven for so much. I mean, he can't extend a little bit of grace to this guy. And in our families, we have been forgiven of so much. If your children or you as a couple, if you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, if you have submitted your life to him and you're following him as Lord, think about what you have been forgiven of. Jesus dying in your place. We sang about this, right? Jesus' righteousness given to us. The fact that we never have to worry about the guilt of our sin, that it's not hanging over our heads. We are so richly blessed. And so then we can't show a little bit of grace, right, to the people that live in our house. But it's really hard. It's really hard because these people in our house, they use our stuff and they break our stuff and they mock us and they look at us wrong. And I could keep going on, right, with all the ways that we annoy each other in our families. We live really close to the people in our house. And I think this is like, you know, this is a microcosm of this is what the kingdom is supposed to look like, but man, do we struggle with it. We really struggle. So as families, we need to consider Christ's sacrificial love. Talk about this as a family. Talk about what Jesus did. Come back to the gospel. 
if Jesus did this for us, can we not let this go with our sibling, with our brother or sister? Can we not forgive mom and dad because we messed up? Can we forgive our children, right? So we are a servant. But we don't just serve our family members. We're called to serve all those we come into contact with, right? All those who are in need. So we are compassionate servants. We're not the king. We're not even a prince. We're servants. I was talking to somebody last week, and their small group goes and visits nursing homes. And that's a pretty, you know, glamorless ministry. But there's an idea and there's an example of ministering and serving compassionately of being a servant, that creates a culture. When you as a dad or a mom or as a family serve, as a husband and wife, when you serve with a servant's heart, that changes the culture of your family. People understand, okay, my parents are servants. We need to be missional servants. I believe that the greatest way that we can serve the king is to do the work that he's called us to do of making disciples. It's what he's called us to do as a church. He's called us to make disciples and accomplish this mission. The very end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is something that we do. As servants, we serve the king. We do what he wants us to do. Of course, this is happening in our family. We're seeking to make disciples of our children. And I heard that from the Campion testimony. I mean, it's really about discipleship, right, of, this, of these that God has given us. But then we also take that out into the community and we try to make disciples. We share the gospel with people. We see them come to know Jesus Christ. But see, Jesus has to be king of our heart before we'll ever be a servant. Otherwise, like Pastor Steve said last week, Our family's made up of these little princes and we all think we own something. We all are in charge of something. But ultimately, there's only one king and we're all servants, so we serve him. I look at it this way. Our families are little kingdom cultures scattered throughout Northwest Indiana, right? So some are in Lowell and some are in Cedar Lake here and up into Crown Point. And um, see, I'm learning my geography already, right? All over the place. Merrillville. And then think about this. We have three other campuses filled with families all throughout this area, up, all the way up into Gary. And I just, I, I get a little overwhelmed sometimes when I think about how cool it would be if all of these little family uh, kingdom cultures would start to spread out throughout our region. Would it not change our world, really, right? Imagine the world it would be, as Louis Armstrong said. That, that's the only part of the quote. The rest isn't Louis Armstrong, Okay if we would all take this task seriously, if we would serve the king, if we would say, you know what, for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. As a dad, I'm gonna, I'm, my main task, my, my primary mission in life right now is to teach my kids about the Lord. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta make a living, I gotta provide for them, absolutely. But I'm gonna take this so seriously. I'm going to make this my number one priority. Or as a mom, say, you know, I have a lot of things to do as a mom, so many I can't even think about it right now, but I'm going to make sure I try to talk to my kids about the Lord, about Jesus Christ. Or as a child saying, I, I, I'm going to try to help add to this culture. I'm not going to poison the culture. I'm going to try to create a kingdom culture as well. For singles who would say, you know, I'm going to already have a kingdom culture in my heart. And if God sees fit to have me married one day, we'll continue that. So this is my prayer. This is my, my thought. Our families will be healthier. Our world will be changed. I mean, that's really why I came 
to Northwest Indiana and, and we took our whole family here. It was I believe in, that God can change the world. I believe that. It might only be our small corner of the world. It might only be the people that you live around or your coworkers, but he can change the world. And he does that through our families honoring him. Whatever our stage in life is, if we will make him king and honor him as king, he already is king, then he will make an incredible difference in our world. So I hope you'll join me with that in, in that endeavor. I, as we go through this series, let's together honor Christ as king. Let's try to, to have a family where the culture is one of grace and talking about the Lord and talking to him and service and worship. And you know what? We're going to mess up. It's okay. Um, because God gives us grace. And he gives us the grace to get back up and to take one step in front of the other and honor him. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for, Lord, how you have called us to such an important task to change the culture, Lord, both in our family and also in the entire community. God, we live in a world that is against Jesus Christ. We live in a world that by and large does not live like the kingdom is, like the kingdom will one day look. But God, would you help us to make a change? Lord, as parents, help us to start to already make changes, maybe little baby steps, God. Help us to take one step in front of the other and start something this week. Maybe one thing that we could just, with all of our heart, try to make a difference. God, I pray that you give parents grace this morning. May they walk out of here not overwhelmed, not feeling condemned, but instead realizing that they have a very, very important task, more important than their vocation that they do, but more important than anything else is to train their children to know Jesus, to love Jesus. For children here, Lord, I pray that they would contribute to this, that they would start to change the culture in their home. For singles, Lord, I pray that they would contribute to this culture of Bethel, that it would be a place where, where you reign supreme. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. He is our King. Lord, may we honor him today as King. I pray that you'd use us greatly. In Jesus' name, amen.